morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. So glad you're here. Looking forward to, um, you know, when you write a sermon outline, I typically write a year out. And um, we were taking our collegiate staff at Super Summer through Colossians. And what I didn't know is the way it lined up, um, I would teach them Colossians this chapter two weeks ago. And it was like, wow. <laughs> it was just a wow moment for me. And so we've been walking through this idea, we, if, if you're first time with us, that um, this invisible war that's going on for all of us is who's going to sit on the throne of our lives? Is it going to be God or is it going to be me? Is it going to be something else? Because something, some, somebody's going to sit here. And we've all been, we've been talking about that the last several weeks. And it's just been a powerful series for me personally because this, this thing is, is important because who sits here kind of determines your life where it's going, where it doesn't go, and how that plays out. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter 3. It was a letter that Paul wrote to the early church. We're going to get there in just a moment. But I'll remind you a few things that we've been kind of walking through. James 4, 8 says, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, because here's the reality Our intentions are good. We want Christ to sit here. But frequently we say, can you get up? Because I want to sit there. I know what I'm doing. I think I've been down this road before. And so we we see that. that That's why when when we see this in James, this this idea of double-minded is I I want to do the right things for God, but I also don't. I I want to do my thing. I want to to live my life however, the way I want sometimes. And so we, I decided to look up the, the definition of it, and I love the verb of this when it talks about the, the definition of throne. It says the verb, to place someone on a throne. Place someone, and if you just put something, either one, it's going to work. And a few weeks ago when we started this series, uh, I had many of you, the, you took a card and you, you wrote your, what was your invisible war? And so I thought today um, I'd share some of what you wrote these don't have names. It says, what was your throne war? It says, this person wrote, I need recognition. Okay. What is your throne war? Balancing my time. What is your throne war? Struggle with surrender. surrender. Wanting to make my own choices. How I spend my time, my money, and my resources. What is your throne war? Gossip. What is your throne war? Alcohol. What is your throne war? Food. What is your throne war? Control. What is your throne war? Not having good thoughts. What is your throne war? Friends. What is your throne war? That I want to sit on my throne. And if you don't believe me, it says it right there. And see, the reality, folks, is that, that when, if it's not Christ sitting here, all, all of those can hijack your life, am I right? Badly. Badly. When, we were, when I, I grew up military, as many of you know, and uh, my dad was stationed in Warner Robins, Georgia, and that was also the same place that I played King of the Hill on the big pile of, of uh, insulation with no shirt on in the summertime. Bad idea. Um, 
But while we were there, and this goes to this for just a second, um, where we lived, we, we walked to school because it wasn't that far. It was down a hill and up a hill and you were there. Um, have you ever been, have you ever wanted to be so like that you would put up with stuff that you wouldn't normally put up with? Am I right? Have you ever wanted to be like so much that you would tolerate things that in most relationships, everybody would go, really? Well, it happens at the youngest of ages. I remember this vividly because we were, I was walking with two other guys and one guy was bigger than myself and the other kid. And I don't remember their names. I do remember what happened though. And the other kid that was bigger was a bully. And I figured it out really quickly. Because as we were walking, um, it had rained. And so there were twigs and limbs and stuff all around. And we're walking up. And the, the, the kid, the bigger kid, gra- reaches down and he grabs a, a piece of limb. And the kid next to me, he just goes right across his back really hard. And, you know, the kid, you know, drops to his knees screaming, hurting. And he, oh, that didn't hurt. And he turns over to me and does the same thing to me. And he says, did that hurt? And I'm trying to hold it together because it hurt a lot. Um, It hurt a lot. But I wanted to be man up. I wanted to be strong. I wanted wanted to be... I wanted to be included in like, because he was going to drop me like a rock if I weren't, if I didn't do what he needed me to do. And so that kid, the bully, was on the throne of my life as a second grader. And I let him stay there because I wanted to be liked. And so on the way home, same day, we're walking back down the hill, back to where we live. And I'm carrying, we didn't have backpacks back then. Um, you only went on, you only had those if you actually went climbing. And so I'm carrying all of my books in my hand, uh, my notebook and everything. And we're walking down the road back down. And over here is kind of a washed out gully area where we're ahead. And it had rained a lot. And we're just walking. And all of a sudden he just goes and pushes me into um, I mean, as best I could describe it to you, it was, a, it was a washed out hole. And when I came up, all I could see in Georgia was orange water. That's all I could see. And he just kept on walking. He didn't do anything. I went in head first, and I don't know how, it was, it was deeper than I could stand as a second grader. So it was probably three or four feet deep. And I remember climbing out of there by myself. And I remember as a second grader, not thinking about this, certainly, that I'm done trying to be liked by this boy. This boy ain't worth this. And so that same boy was down at the bridge that I had to cross. And I am orange and wet and a little bit angry as a second grader can be. And so I am crying and running because I'm trying to get home because I'm trying to, I can't believe all this has happened. And that boy is leaning over the bridge looking at the water because of all this rain. And as he's looking, I just, I kept, I just, poop. 
and he went in and I kept going <laughs> he was no longer on the throne of my life I was done with him but you know folks it, it took something that significant for me to say this isn't good and I think for too many of us we don't we think well it's not so bad it's it could be worse I, I no there's a point where you have to say no more no more this has taken too much he beat a kid with a stick and then he beats me and then he pushes me in and leaves me for whatever could have happened and I'm thinking I I put up with this no see the throne if it's not God it's going to be something else and let me help you out it's going to take it's going to take it's going to take a lot and it's going to keep taking okay so a couple things as we dig into this passage. It says, what we believe has a definite connection with how we live. Okay? What we believe has a definite connection about how we live. Okay? Hear me on that. Because Colossians is going to drive home that point. The second one is this. Jesus cannot live in us. Jesus can't live in you and permit sin. You can't say, Jesus, come into my life, but I still want to do all this stuff. See, God's in the, God's in the redemptive business, so some of that stuff, a lot of that stuff has got to go away. Okay? Jesus invites us into his heart, and when we believe and surrender, we put him on the rightful place of our lives. He becomes the throne. He sits on our throne of our lives, not lording over us with thumbs, but as a, as a God who wants us to be more like him. But when we allow the bullies of life, uh, you control, uh, whatever you got, all of us come up with, they take, and they take a lot. Oswald Chambers said this, as the most precarious thing is to try to live without God. God, I've got this. I've got this. If, this if, it gets, if it goes haywire, I'll come and find you. <laughs> and God's going, no, this is a precarious situation you're getting yourself into. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians 3, chapter 1. Let's, let's unpack this. This has got a lot to it. We're going to move through it. And so we're going to see this. If you go back to chapter 2 and you read, there's, there's a couple of ifs there. Your Bible may say since. But the idea is that if you are a, so a follower of Christ, this should be how it looks. So here it goes. It says, if then, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, which Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is, is hidden. And the word hidden, just to help you out, safe and secure. One of the things I've done differently today is you may just hear something that just goes, oh man, I needed that. Write it down. Not everything is going to be, I'm just giving you a little bit more freedom. I, and I think I probably should have done this a while ago. You need to write down what God's laid on your heart, not just me. So hidden, safe and secure with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear in his glory. He's telling us really right on the street, you need to focus on the things above. That means the things that come from God. Set your mind. means get on it. Think about these things. I love what it, when we talk about seek and set. If you want to jot a couple things down, it says means to meditate on things above. That these are the things that come from God. 
meditate on things above. Like, what are the things that God thinks about? Those are the things I should be thinking about. That also comes out of Philippians too. That's, that's, not, a, that's not a new thing that he's telling us. Value the things above. Va- value the things that God says we should. And the last thing, allow the things above to shape your life. Because if you do those three things, Christ is going to be sitting in his rightful place in our lives. He is. So let me say those again to you. Means to meditate on the things above. God, what do you think about? I should be thinking about. Value the things above and allow the things above to shape our lives. Warren Wiersbe, who uh, is a theologian and wrote lots of commentaries, said this. He says, it does little good if Christians declare and defend the truth, but fail to demonstrate it in their lives. You can know scripture and you can spout all kinds of things and tell me all kinds of stuff, but if it's not being reflected in your life, they're empty words. They're hollow words. And he says that, and this is how this plays out, because whoever is sitting here, if it's not God, is revealed. If it's not God, it's revealed. And so he's saying, set your mind. He says, think about the things that God thinks about. And that is tough, isn't it? Isn't it tough? It's tough to think about those things. I, I, I highlighted this as holiness requires us to put off our old self and put on the new self in Christ. That is what salvation points to. See, I, we just got back from doing, I just did a lot of camp life. And one of the things that the pastors were driving was that there's, a, there's, there's an invitation from Christ to come to his table. But that means you have to have an awareness of how broken and how sinful and how much you need a savior beyond yourself. And when you look at those words that holiness requires us to put off our old self and put on the new self in Christ, that's what salvation points to. And so verse 5, he says, set your mind, look at who Christ is, seek, kind of get your framework around that. And then look at what he says. He's, he's building, verse 5, put to death. Isn't that kind of a strong statement? Put to death. Put to death. And if you, if you dig a little bit in what that put to death means ruthlessly identify and remove those things that are in your life you can't say the most dangerous thing you can say to me and more importantly to God is that's just the way I am God no God didn't make you to be a jerk okay God didn't make you to be a gossip God didn't make you to be resentful and angry God didn't make you to to treat people with disdain God didn't make you self-righteous he says, you need to get rid of these things. And you can't just say, I've just got some character flaws. God's like, um, well, then let me have them. Because here's the thing. Whenever you say, this is just the way I am, God, you're saying I'm on the throne of my life. It is not Christ. Because I, I remember a guy told me that. I said, so what you're telling me is that God is unable to redeem you, to restore you, to make you into his image. And he looked at me and he went, I never really thought about it that way before. And he walked out of my office the same way he came in. Angry, resentful, and on his throne. And so Paul says, put it, put it to death. Don't let it have any ability to be resurrected. He says, ruthlessly identify and remove. Therefore, he tells you, he goes, 
put to death, and then he gives you the list. Therefore, what is earthly? That means not of God. And, it, and look at what he says, earthly in you. That these are things that we all kind of wrestle with sometimes. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the, the wrath of God is coming. God is not going to let somebody who pr professes to be a follower of Christ and allows these things to kind of just linger. Because those things, those things are going to be on the throne. Those things are going to be on. It might be one of them. It might be all of them. And, and Paul is saying, look, God is not going to let that just sit. He's not going to just, oh, okay, well, gee, Willikers, I guess this is, this is what we deal with. No, no. He says, I'm not going to, no, God's going to deal with that. He says, and this and these, you two once, he goes, he's going back to you. You once were this way. You once walked when you were living in them, but now you put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And Paul, this, this is an interesting thing because Paul is giving you this idea that when you come into a relationship with Christ, you put on this new self and the old self has to go. The old self has to go. How many of you have a closet and in that closet is stuff in the back closet that you never wear? Every closet should have that designated area. This is the stuff, I don't know why it's there. It, I don't ever wear it. It just gets back there. It's the... Uh, I don't know what they call that, but it's, it's that cl every closet has, oh yeah, I have that. Uh, let me help you out. If you hold on to it long enough, it will come back in style. <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. Polyester suits, I think, are on their way back. Yes. No, I agree, Keith. No, they should not come back. But there's something about the back closet, and I, and I, I was thinking about this old self. I woke up at 3 blessed 30 in the morning thinking about this sermon, and I could not go back to sleep. So I'm kind of excited about what, why, because I was just thinking about this a lot and praying through it, and I just couldn't go back to sleep thinking about this sermon so much. And so I was thinking about the closet idea. So I want to kind of demonstrate it. Now, I know that most of you in here have a closet bigger than this. Some of you are like, um... I think that's what I dry my towels on. No. Um, but a closet has this for a reason. You, you, you hang your clothes. And, but typically in the back of the closets where stuff kind of accumulates. Am I right? So what happens is when... when let's go back to the scripture here because I want to really get this thing right. He says, put off the old self with his practices. He says, get rid of it. Now here's what happens. Here's what I know. Because I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys on this. The old self, we say, um, you know, I'm just going just gonna to put it in the back of the closet of my life. It's not really hurting anybody. It's just, it's just let's put it back over there for now. I, I've got this new relationship with Christ. Everything is good. I, you know, it, it's just too hard to confess it to people or to God. So I'm just going to put it in the back of the closet. So let me ask you a question. 
who is still on the throne of our lives if that is still in our closet? That. Paul is right. This, my friends, is still here. And you can tell me, God, I don't deal with that anymore, Danny, but have you confessed it? Have you surrendered it? Have you owned it before a holy God that this sinful life that you used to be in allegedly is still in your spiritual closet? It's still there. Well, Danny, no one else knows. God knows. Let me help you out. He knows. And I think the problem is is that the old life looks pretty appealing sometimes. I just want to be angry at that person. I just want to talk about people. And the old life is back here in the back of the closet where it shouldn't be. And Paul is saying, take off the old closet. He says, take this off. And I'm going to talk about this in just a second. I'm going to leave that there. Because this is what should have happened. And let me tell you, trying to keep those two shirts from each other, that was a challenge. When Paul talks about the new self, this is the restorative work. This is what it should look like. That when God's deeming work in our lives, that this gets wider and wider because we reflect Him more and more. But somehow, this stays. Now, I don't know about you, but would any of you put this on and put this on over it? Would you? Of course not. You go, that's gross. That's dirty. But that's what we're doing in our spiritual life. We're trying to have both. You can't have your old self on the throne and Christ on the throne at the same time. This seat isn't big enough for that. This seat is a seat for one, for Christ only. But yet somehow we think, well, I'll just put that in the back of the closet and I'll bring it over here. Now I got to tell you, if I left these two together, would eventually this shirt start to get dirty? Yes or no? It would. It would because it's in proximity to this one. And so Paul says, look at what he says. Let's go back to that in verse 9. He says, put off the old self with its practices. You know what he means by old self? Let me help you out here. He doesn't mean that it stays in the back of your closet. He means go get your trash can. I'm going to help you out here so you've got an understanding here. He says, get your trash can, take it off its hanger, and throw it away. That's how you get rid of the old self. Do not let it slide to the back of your spiritual closet thinking, yeah, that's just my old life. This is how it used to be. This needs to be front and center. That says that Christ is on his rightful place. The old self, guys, you cannot hold on to the old self and think you can manage it. It will manage you. You must throw it away. You must say, God, I do not want this old self of me to seep in to my life. And he's gonna, Paul's going to help us with that. So let's keep walking. He says, he says, put off the old self with practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed. That means it's this ongoing thing because you need more of that because the old self, the old self wants to do this. The old self, unless you just throw it away, my trash comes tomorrow, guess where this is going? Tomorrow. Bye-bye. 
This old self would love to just kind of saunter back over here and kind of just sit kind of over here. No, 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 no. You need to say no to the trash you go. Once and for all. It can't, it can't have any space in your spiritual life. It can't. Because when you think you're managing it, it is on its throne already. Okay? It's on its throne already. And he says, so Paul is saying, the renewing and the knowledge of God will grow when the old self goes away. And the more you grow in Christ, the more you will recognize when that old self is trying to come out. I love this. Renewal is constantly needed in our lives to battle against sin and our old self. This idea of renewal that God, I, I need to be... Paul said this in, in Romans chapter 12, this renewing of ourselves, chapters 1 and 2, that we've got this, we want to know who God is. We need to renew ourselves every day, not just on Sunday, every day, that this only works if it's in its rightful spot. If it's in the closet, it's not seen, it's not known. The throne of Christ is in the business of redeeming us so that this nonsense this old self doesn't hijack the things that God has for us. And every one of us in here, if you are a follower of Christ, you have an old self. You have an old self. And that old self wants to, wants to peek its head out and see how you're doing. Renewal is constantly needed in our lives to battle against the sin and the old self. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. There is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scathen, uh, slave, free, free um, but all in Christ and in one. He says all of us, it can be, doesn't matter where you came from, you can be free in Christ. Put on as God's chosen ones. I, and I love this, put on. He says, I pick you to put this on. I love this. Holy, the word holy, set apart. Okay? Beloved, remember the love demonstrated for you on the cross. So the chosen, holy, and beloved. If you were to write something behind, beside chosen, I pick you. Holy, I've set you apart. Beloved, remember what I did for you on the cross. And he, he goes into this beautiful list. He gave you the list you shouldn't be, and then he gives you the list you should be. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, if one has a, comp a complaint against you, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also must forgive. See, when Christ is in that place, you're going to have an ability to forgive. You're going to have ability to have patience with people. Uh, all the time I hear people pay say, man, God, I I'm, I'm pay praying for patience right now. And God's like, guess what? I'm going to give you patience for it, not while you're in it. He's going to, I'm going to give you for it because you, you are like, oh, I need patience right now. God's going to be building and working in your life in whatever area it is that he's going to grow you in those areas. And, and the knowledge and the renewal is helping you with that list. In verse 14 it says, above all I put on love. All of this thing, this list he just gave us, those work if love is reflected. Okay which binds them all together in perfect harmony. And the peace of God, Christ, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed are called one body. I love this. The peace of Christ brings deep contentment that carries with us through the storms of life 
that shake our faith. The peace of God is not like you're going to have no problems. It's that Christ is in the midst of your life. That's where the peace comes from, even when you've got crazy going on. And I love what Jesus said to that fact out of John 14, 27. He says, the peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He was telling his disciples final words. That the, the kind of peace that we get from God is a different kind of peace. It's a peace that gives us, it gives us a genuine assurance that he is there. He is right there with us through it all. And he says, let the peace of Christ rule you. And then look at what he says at, at the last part of that. And in all of this, be thankful. Have you been thankful this week? Have you really, have you stopped for a second and said, God, thank you. Thank you for this or for that. He says, be thankful. And then look at what, oh, and then he gives you, how do, how does this renewal and knowledge of Christ work? And look at what he says in verse 16. He says, let, that means, that word is powerful here, folks. Let, let the word, that means, to let the word means that that is sitting here, not you, not your old self. Let, oh man, this is good stuff. Let the word of God, Christ, dwell in you. Does it, what, uh, what is your, what does your Bible say about that? Mine says richly. Somebody else got a different word? Richness. Any others? The idea of richly means that it is, there's a lot let the word of God dwell in you richly. That minute, there's a, it's almost like an overflow. That when this is in its rightful place, when, the, when Christ is in the redeeming mode of our lives, we look less like this and more like the image of Christ. But that requires that the old self gets tossed and doesn't get pushed to the back of our spiritual closets. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I mean, that, that idea of teaching and admonishing, I mean, you're helping people along their spiritual journey. I was camp director, man. I, I mean, I was, I, you know, we were helping kids navigate stuff, helping them deal with spiritual things, um, dealing with hard things in some cases. But you're teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let me just help you out. You can't teach and admonish somebody if you're not growing in Christ. All it becomes is, I'm, I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going to crush you. Singing psalms, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Then there's something about when you're growing in Christ that everything shifts to this is about Christ and not about me. And then he says... Let the words dwell in you richly. And then look at what it says in verse 17. And whatever you do, whatever it is you're doing today, whatever it is you're doing in word or in deed, it doesn't, the, the next part says, it's not some things. It says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Acting, and I love this. I, I, I came up with this definition. Acting in someone's name means both representing the person and acting with their authority. A bit like an ambassador. 
So I have a question for you. Which shirt, which self is sitting on the throne this morning? Is it the old self? Or is it the new self? I'll help you out with something again, folks. They can't occupy the same place. They can't. For Christ to be able to do what he wants to do in our lives and for him to be on his rightful place, old self and new self can't occupy the same space. And one of them will get nudged out. You cannot leave this in the back of your closet thinking it's not a big deal. You must throw it away. Because your old self has a natural inclination to think, you know, I'm kind of matured. I'm really not struggling with that stuff anymore. And I've known lots of well-meaning people to think that they can manage their old self and it begins to manage them. And they didn't even realize it happened. See, the image I'm trying to portray to you is that God wants to help you to be more like him, to reflect him more. And the only way that that happens is if he's in his rightful place on the throne of our lives. It doesn't work if you're trying to bring the old self or trying to marry the two up. And so what is that area for you? you, That question that I read at the beginning, what is your throne war? What, What are you struggling with? Is it your old self? Is there something out of that list or is it something else? Is it a person? I told you my painful story about the bully. I just wanted to be liked by him, even though he was a jerk. And he cared nothing about us until I'd had enough. And let me just help you out. Until you've had enough of that, it will occupy the throne of your life. Until you've had enough. Until you have said a line in the sand. I drew a line in the sand about that kid that we probably weren't going to be friends anymore. And let me tell you what, when you push a bigger kid into a creek, you go to school earlier and you run home faster. Just saying. But you know what? He was from the same neighborhood as I was. And he didn't mess with me ever again. And not because I was bigger or stronger. But I think when you talk about the throne of your life and you say, no more, no more. It has a harder chance of getting back into this seat. Does that make sense? It has a harder chance to getting back here. If we say no more, we throw it away. We take it out to the trash and get rid of it. We don't push it to the back of the closet thinking it's not a big deal. I promise you it will come back around if you don't get rid of it. If you don't put it to death as Paul described So what is yours? What is that old self that kind of creeps out when Christ is saying, you need to keep me here. This is where I belong. I can't do this process with the old self kind of coming over. And my prayer for you this morning is that you will allow your new self in Christ to be the most dominant thing of your life. It will be evident by how you treat people, 
how you allow the Word to, uh, to saturate your life by the things you see yourself growing in, the things you surrender to, the things you let go of, whatever it may be. So let's pray together. Father, I, I have a strong inkling that there is a person or persons in this room that their old self is keeping them from a relationship with you. And it may be that they have never, ever, ever had a relationship with you and their old self is keeping them from that fact. And I want to pray for them first this morning, God, that they will know that there is a God who is in the redeeming business through his son, Jesus. And he desires to remove that old self, but that means that they must surrender it to him. And I pray, God, that there is an adult, a student, I don't care what age you are, that if you need to take that step, that myself, Brad, or Corey would be privileged to help you to understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ. But God, the larger audience in here this morning are like me. They're followers of you. And their old self hasn't been put to death. It gets pushed to the back of the closet. And we let it sit there thinking it's not a big deal. But it's still on our throne and we just don't realize it. God, I'm, I've, I'm learning painfully in my own life that the throne is a one-seater. And you made it that way intentionally. It's for you and for you alone. There may be some adults and students in this room that the old self keeps creeping out. And they don't mean for it to. They thought they put it to death, but they haven't thrown it away. They've not truly surrendered it to you. They've not truly confessed it to you. They've not really been broken about it. They've been sorry. And I ask God that you work in our lives this morning, that maybe this up here, these stairs, we call an altar sometimes just to do business with you, that that old self needs to be thrown away. God, for the next few moments, if there are decisions that need to be made, if there are stuff that needs to be unpacked with you, that we would have the courage to do it. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I ask you to stand. I'll be up here. This is an altar. Brad and Corey are here, myself. If we can walk with you, pray with you, talk to you about your relationship with Christ, we would be honored. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. 